Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of the Wasatch Report. I'm Suzanne Sherman. Joining me today are Jeff Johnson and Mike Meharry. We're going to be addressing Alan Dershowitz's claim that you have no constitutional right to be vaccinated against your will. We will discuss this article from Godarchy that the moral authority of the state is death. Really looking forward to getting into this today. But before we get rolling, I want to remind you, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report. And then you can also catch us on Anchor FM. We are available there on, I think, seven platforms right now. And you could follow me on on uh, my website, SuzanneCSherman.com. There is a donate button. You can find my articles on Suzanne's articles from many of them on the 10th Amendment Center. Thank you, Mike Meharry, for getting me in the door and getting to share on your amazing platform as well. Um, the American Conservative, as well as the um, Abbeville Institute. In fact, I think we'll reference that one today. I wrote an article at the behest of Don Livingston, the problem with lawyers and the Constitution. And boy, howdy, does that does that <laughs> apply today? We're going to play an excruciatingly painful bit of Alan Dershowitz talking about vaccinations. So also you can see my blogs there as well. We're going to get some products listed up on the website as well and some supporters of the shows, their options. So that being said, Mike Meharry, how are you today? I'm doing great. I got to play hockey yesterday. Oh, you must be a happy camper. I yeah. got to go back to the gym, so I'm happy too. Tell me, what was it like to get back out on the ring? Painful. Ice, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> it was painful. I'm old. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty sore today, but it was it was good. You know, it, I, I, not to go too far off field, but uh, Tom Woods did an episode of, uh, I guess it was uh, Peter Quinones's Free Man Behind the Wall podcast, and they were talking about the fact that, you know, there's there's more to life than just biological existence. And when you start taking away the things that make life good and worth living and enjoyable, things like music and art and, you know, sports and athletics and all of the things that we do, what's the point of just existing? And, and they're, 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 you know, we don't want to sit locked in our houses forever. And that really resonated with me because it was, it felt so good to do something that was normal, something that I love to do that I was told I couldn't do because of, of the reasons. So, you know, I think people need to kind of keep that in mind. We're, we're not just put on this planet to exist physically. I mean, we could all lock ourselves in a bubble and, and survive biologically for years and years, but who wants to do that? Well, doesn't that seem to address the issue of why we're seeing an increase in suicides and in domestic mm -hmm. violence? People's emotional well-being is clearly being uh, adversely affected here. All for all for what? You know, I don't I I really don't care what the exact cause of this is. I don't care where it came from. I can't prove one way or the other. But what is very apparent before our eyes is how the government's handling this. We had you on the show last time, Mike, when we talked about the uh, expansion of the police state, the right. surveillance that's coming about, Google and Apple teaming up, contact tracing, very scary. They're not going to stop when it comes to a virus. Nope. By the way, when we're talking about contact tracing, think red flag laws, think more gun control, think cashless society, you know, more. And again, that's something else we're seeing in some stores where they're refusing to take cash. They'll keep one checkout counter open, but you don't see that. Like for instance, at the Whole Foods in Park City, you walk in big signs everywhere, no cash accepted. Well, once you get in, oh, we have one register, but they're clearly trying to affect your behavior, particularly mm -hmm. when it comes to cash, because what better way to trace us than with everything being electronic. Interestingly, I saw Mark Cuban in, in, uh, interviewed on Fox News the other day, and he was talking about $1,000 every two weeks for every family until this is over. Well, it's never going to be over. And then he said something pretty concerning. He said, but you have 10 days in which to spend it. Really? So how are you going to track how we've spent it in a society with cash if we deposit this in the bank and take it out? Well, clearly, you're going to have to uh, spend it electronically, get it electronically. So, uh, you know, and as Gary says here, man and woman are here on earth to have joy. The test is to find it. You know, something else interesting that I noticed when you're shopping is uh, somebody at Whole Foods, again, was communicating with me and I missed it. I said, you know, it really makes me notice how, how much we miss and how much we rely on nonverbal communication. You can't see somebody's mouth right. because their face is half their face is covered. And you're wondering, 
did they just, are they addressing me? So the funny thing is what I saw at an employee pulling her face mask off when somebody came within two feet of her to ask a question, oh, here, let me communicate with you. So I think right. people are realizing this isn't working, but you know, we're kind of having a, a good time talking about these anecdotal incidents, but there's something far more draconian being discussed. And that is Donald Trump saying he's going to call out the military to assist in getting vaccinations out to everybody. It's going to be a huge project. Huge. Alan Dershowitz, huge. It's going to be great. Uh, Alan, Alan Dershowitz weighs in. And uh, I have been known, and uh, all of us actually, for mocking and discrediting professors of law. Again, refer to my article, The Malfeasance of the Legal Indi uh, Education Industry. I just talk about that and the problem with lawyers and the Constitution. And here is where Alan Dershowitz inadvertently kind of glance blows the <laughs> Tenth Amendment, but still gets it wrong because we know he's a hardcore incorporationist. Uh, but Jeff, could you could you play that for us? Get ready. Clearly, you have no constitutional right to endanger the public and spread the disease, even if you disagree. You have no right not to be vaccinated. You have no right not to wear a mask. You have no right to open up your business. Wait, can I stop you? Did, yeah. No right not to be vaccinated. Meaning, if they decide you have to be vaccinated, we have to be vaccinated. Absolutely. And if you refuse to be vaccinated, the state has the power to literally take you to a doctor's office and plunge a needle into your arm. If the vaccine is that in the Constitution? To prevent, if the vaccination is designed to prevent the spreading disease. If the vaccination is only to prevent a disease that you will get, for example, if there's a disease that will kill you, you have the right to refuse that, but you have no right to refuse to be vaccinated against a uh, contagious disease. Public health, the police power of the Constitution. What a hot mess to unpack. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's troubling is this is the clown that Trump is looking to for advice. He's turned to this guy. And and this is this is the imbecile that they trot out on Fox that conservatives look to for their source of information. And this is, again, the guy that they trot out to teach you about what the Constitution means. You know, we had a, a show with Tom Mullen and we had and we discussed his article about the nitwit mob mm -hmm. and the media and the government and the education system are part of what I refer to frequently as the trifecta of evil, keeping us ignorant. This is an example of it. I tell people just, you know, shut that stuff off. And if it's not me, listen to people like Mike, listen to people like Michael Bolden. We've got so many people that really understand the proper role of government and this. And if you want to talk about constitutional ramifications and limitations, those aren't the ones to listen to. The people that we bring to you are because we're never going to get any positive change towards freedom. It's going to go the other way because they have everybody so frightened of this virus. So let's unpack this a little bit, Mike. And I know Jeff's right on there with us. The main problem is his use of the term constitutional rights. I've been on radio stations. I've been on the local uh, AM conservative station out here. And when one of the hosts mentions Second Amendment rights, I just look at him deadpan and say, there no, there's no such thing. And the jaws drop. And then, you know, the next week I hear them talking about Second Amendment rights in the Supreme Court all over again. It's like I didn't say anything because this is a bias and something that has been indoctrinated that is very hard to overcome. So, Mike, I'll let you I'll let you address that issue. What is wrong with him saying you don't have a constitutional right? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, for all that is good and holy, I wish people would quit saying constitutional rights because it's not a thing. They don't exist. There is no right that the Constitution gives you, and it doesn't even claim to do such a thing. Uh, in, in fact, I think this is a manipulation of language and a manipulation of thinking by statists, by people who favor big government and authoritarianism. And, and did Dershowitz's authoritarianism not pop out in that little quote, right? Oh, my gosh. That's, this, this is authoritarianism when you start ceding your rights to the government, when you start to uh, basically admit that the government is giving you your rights. That's not the right way to look at it. The Constitution created a government and it gave the government powers. That's what the Constitution is about. It's about powers. 
the Bill of Rights is not about giving you rights. It's about restricting the power of government and to keep it from infringing on the rights that you were already understood to have. The founding generation would have they, they're all rolling over in their collective graves right now every time we say constitutional rights because that's not how they think of it. Read the Declaration of Independence. Rights are God-given. If you're not a, theo, uh, uh, a theist, then you can say that they are natural. They are part of our humanity. So to say constitutional rights, you're ceding your humanity. You're giving your ownership over to the government. And obviously the government thinks it's owned Jews because, uh, you know, Things people like Dershowitz say things like, uh, you know, they can make you have a vaccination. Of course, they can because they have guns. But uh, so, yeah, this this just drives me crazy to hear this term constitutional rights. It needs to be banished from everybody's vocabulary. You need to understand that you have rights by virtue of your personhood and that the government is not going to protect your rights. The government is not going to give you your rights. It's not going to champion your rights. It doesn't care about your rights. It cares about its powers. And that's exactly why we have a Bill of Rights, because the founding generation understood that and they wanted the powers of government to be limited so that they would not infringe on our rights. What we've done is we've created a situation where we say, Okay, well, we have these constitutional rights. Well, if that's true, then the government has the ability to define the limits of those rights, and they do it all the time. You hear people like Dershowitz. I've seen this dozens of times in the last two weeks where people say things like, well, your rights aren't unlimited, and there are limits on your rights. You don't have absolute rights. Well, yeah, actually we do. The question is, how much power are we going to give the government to infringe on our rights? And when you look at it that way, it becomes much easier to understand the restrictions on government because restrictions are absolute. When you say you can't do that, there's no exceptions unless an exception is written. But when you start talking about something that's that's kind of ill-defined like rights, well, yeah, then, then these judges and lawyers and political class, then they have the ability to define what those are. And that always ends up with us having less rights and the government having more power. I say no, thank you. And there's no, so go ahead, Jeff. I just wanted to go on with what uh, Mike just said. So the question always is, when I hear somebody say, I, I want my constitutional rights, I, the question is, did that right exist prior to the Constitution? And quite obviously, the answer is it did, because the framers in the, of the Constitution understood them to have existed, and so they put the restriction in there, the first 10 amendments, the restrictions on the government so that it was perfectly clear that the government had no authority granted to it. So if you go to Article 1, Section 8, is there anywhere granting the federal government regulatory powers over firearms? The answer is no. I, and I, thank you for shaking your head no, Mike, because you, <laughs> you absolutely agree with me. Nowhere in the Article 1, Section 8 are they granted authority to regulate firearms. So why in the heck did the framers add the Second Amendment? Not because they were giving you something, because they wanted it perfectly clear that you had a natural right to self-preservation and that the government could not ever, absolutely never, pass one regulation or law re regarding your natural right. So, what do you have a constitutional right or do you have a natural right? Because one is absolute and the other is at their whim. Right. You know, I, I think I might have said this in the last, the last time I was on the show. We should not call it the Bill of Rights. It's a bad name. We should have mm -hmm. called it the Bill of Restrictions because that's what it is. It's a restriction on power. It's not a declaration of your rights. And uh, the, the quicker we understand that, the better off we're going to be. Because, again, the government does not care about your rights. Dershowitz makes that completely clear. He's going to drag you into some doctor's office and shove a needle in your arm. Plunge a needle in yeah. your arm. And, you know, that, that use of the term with the needle reminded me. I don't have the case in front of me, but I wrote an article about that for you guys, Mike, was um, about the DUIs. Yep. And conservative Clarence Thomas said, you know, if you're suspected of driving on the highways under the influence of alcohol, cops should need a warrant because ah. public safety outweighs it. Well, speaking of public safety, clearly we need some common sense gun control. And for the people that really like to argue in corporation and that the, you know, Heller was a good idea, I... I, I use gun control and these cases because they clearly illustrate the difference between, as you said, rights and restrictions. So 
Clarence, uh, um, Antonin Scalia, who says the second, the, the constitution says what it means. It means what it says. It's really easy. He's, he's the textualist. He takes 63 pages to still screw up the second amendment right. by saying it is, it confers an individual right unconnected with the militia to have a handgun because it's common. People say, well, ARs are common too, but they didn't, he didn't say ARs. He implied that you only have a right to a handgun in your home for personal protection. This is not at all what the Second Amendment was. It was a restriction on them. But if he were to correctly say it's a restriction upon us, we have no say. Now, ultimately, because of Heller taking place in D.C., where the, you know, the um, authority, legislative authority was dubiously delegated to the D.C. Uh, local government, you know, Congress had the authority to rule over over uh, D.C.'s laws. But what he should have said, this is an absolute restriction on us whatsoever. Therefore, the law there is unconstitutional. And he should have continued that into McDonald. But when he said, I, I have misgivings about substantive due process, meaning we're going to make up restrictions against the states in the Bill of Rights because of incorporation, just because we want to make it up, but that we've covered that on, on separate episodes. This is clear. If they had said we are absolutely restricted from regulating on this, there goes your BAFT, there goes all these other unconstitutional government agencies, and they're never going to go that route. So we're constantly against the ropes because we've been pretty much uh, snookered by accepting this, this false narrative. So uh, if you want to contribute anything else to that, otherwise we can move over to what we're talking about with uh, with with your with your article in Guardarchy, Mark, because you know we talked about constitutional rights and where does government gets this this authority to dictate what morality is about us? Let's let's move over now and talk about your article. I think we need a vaccination against government. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd willingly plunge that needle into my arm. <laughs> yeah, I've been calling government the virus. Yeah. The virus isn't COVID. The, gov the government is the virus that is going to kill us all. Good segue there, huh? That's great. Let's keep let's uh, let's unpack Dershowitz a little bit more because okay. it goes into the into this article. And I actually wrote this uh, article for Godarchy. It's probably been I don't remember when it was. It's, it's been a while. It's been uh, at least six months. And uh, the title of the article is The Moral Authority of the State is Death. And I think that's absolutely true. Let's, but let's, let's start with something that, that Dershowitz says that really, really rankles me. Beyond the constitutional issues and all of that, he talks about the fact that the, the government, the state government, he actually gets that part kind of right. You know, he kind of swerved into federalism in the Tenth Amendment there by accident. But setting that aside, this notion that the government has the right to grab you physically and plunge a needle into your arm raises a very, very important question that people need to consider. And that question is who owns you? Because the inference from what Dershowitz is saying, and I think pretty much everybody in the political class believes this, is that you are not completely owned by yourself. The government has ownership over you. I find that reprehensible and, and just morally horrifying to think that the government or some entity, the collective or whatever it is, has some ownership over us because ultimately that means it can do with you as it pleases. It can force you to have a vaccination. And, you know, I'm not really anti-vaccination, but I'm sure as hell anti getting drug into a doctor's office and having a needle plunged into my arm because it's my decision and it's my conscience if I am a self-owner. And that is really the root of, of everything, we have to ask ourselves, who owns us? Ask yourself right now, who owns you? If you say that I own myself, then that infers that Jeff, you own yourself and Suzanne, you own yourself and, and everybody that's listening owns themselves. And if that's true, you don't have a right to force your will upon them because they have a conscience that you can't violate. So this idea that that the government can plunge a needle into your arm is offensive on the most basic level. It's effectively and essentially saying you are at some level a slave, that you do not own yourself, that you do not have the right to, to uh, motivate your own actions and follow your own conscience. And I think that's a really frightening thing. And unfortunately, that's the predominant belief in the world today. And I think that it's something that 
ultimately leads to people being loaded onto boxcars because if the government owns you, then it can make you do what you want. <clears throat> well, and I, I, go ahead. I, I, I've used that example before. Oh, how can you compare this to, but you have mentioned that before when we've talked about um, immunity certificates. I mean, that's something that people are going to have to carry around uh, when they're going to start denying people access to services. And that's something else he alludes to. You had mentioned yesterday what yesterday when we started talking about this, you're probably going to drop an F-bomb. Well, I'm going to drop one right now. It's federalism. And he inadvertently <laughs> swerves into federalism when he says, well, Jacobson, I think, was the case. This is why I don't like to refer to what the judicial duffel monkeys or the black robe messiahs say. Sorry, that goes to the ABA article where we're admonished against making fun of these people. But <laughs> what he's really saying is it's not a federal issue, an, initial, an issue for the general government. And because of the 10th Amendment, when he talks about the police powers, and that's what we're taught that it means in states that effectively the states only have the powers to police their local citizens, which is a, is a complete bastardization of the 10th Amendment entirely. But what he is saying is this is a state issue correctly. So then that's when we get into what you said was who really owns you. Well, according to Derpowitz, in a democracy, and he uses that term many times, democracy. So does, the, by the way, Fox, again, conservatives go to uh, news, news station, uh, democracy 2020 for the election year. So he, he says, as long as, now, now this has to be something that comes from the legislature, but as long as this comes from the legislature, the state legislatures, and there is a majority, the majority can decree that the minority who is against this must have that needle plunged into their arms. This is not the Republican form of government that was called for in the Constitution, correct? Absolutely. And like I said, it's evil. And so that goes to the to the Godarchy article, because the reality is every single action by government, every single law that is passed, every single regulation, every single mandate is ultimately enforced with the threat of death. And that's what I mean when I say the moral authority of the state is death. Ultimately, its power lies in its ability to kill you. That's all. So anything that you support the government doing, you need to ask yourself the question, do I have the moral right to kill somebody for this? Do I have the moral right to kill you if you choose not to get this vaccination? Do I have the moral right to kill you if you don't fashion your seatbelt? And people will laugh at me when they say, well, seatbelt, you're not going to get killed for not wearing it. Well, let's think about this for a second. Let's say, sure you're, not, let's say you're not wearing your seatbelt and you get pulled over by the police and uh, they write you a ticket. And you say, well, I'm not going to pay that ticket because uh, I, I don't think I should have to wear a seatbelt. Well, then your license is suspended. So then you get pulled over again and you're going to go to jail. Well, you don't want to go to jail because you don't believe your license should be suspended because you don't think you should have had to wear a seatbelt. So you resist the officer. What happens at that point? <laughs> you're going to get shot or you're going to get physically restrained and drug off into a cage. Ultimately, it is the power of that. Why do police officers carry guns? It's so that they can kill you if you resist. So people need to be really clear on that. And we've 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 created this system where everything has this nice veneer. You know, we talk about democracy and the will of the people and all this bullshit. Ultimately, it's about killing you. And when we can talk about democracy, all that is is the moral authority of the mob. And people need to remember that revere democracy so much that, oh, the majority, you know, the majority's right. The majority said that slavery was perfectly okay. The majority believed and supported the institution of slavery. Did that make it morally okay at that time? Of course not. Not if you believe in any kind of absolute mor morality at all. So... This is, I think, a fundamental thing, getting away, you know, not even talking about the Constitution or the legality. We have to grapple with what is government and what is it doing and how does it do what it does? Well, it does what it does by the power of death. It does what it does by coercion, force and violence. And if you are going to have government, then you know, we can talk about whether that's even legitimate. But if you're going to have government, it should only be able to enforce things that legitimately would be okay to kill somebody for. So, you know, a law against murder. Yeah, I could I could kill you if if you try to kill me. That's that's morally acceptable. But uh, paying taxes, is it okay if I kill you because I, you don't give me money for my pet project? No. So why does the government have that authority?
Well, and you know, the, about trivial laws, I recently was pulled over because I didn't have my correct sticker on my horseless carriage. And I thought of, you know, this gentleman is coming up to my vehicle. I had somewhere else I wanted to go. I really didn't want to go and have to deal with that right then. But had I refused, he would have taken my car away. Now he had the authority to take it right then. Yeah. He said, I could have it impounded right now. What if I decided, no, you're not? Guess who's going to be physically harmed? <laughs> you right. know, so yes, there is nothing too trivial. And if you think we're lying, think about that poor gentleman who was choked to death in New York for selling cigarettes outside of the, the packages. So who's behind these laws? Typically people that make more money selling cigarettes. So often a lot of these laws and these, these regulations are a result of lobbying and who is paying the politicians more and who can't afford to do that? The us. So we are at the whims of these people. Is government then? Let's talk about that. Where does the state derive this moral authority? To me, it seems like they've just taken it because we talk about consent. So what's the difference between moral authority and legitimate government? Can we have the two? You know, the, inter the, the idea of consent is interesting because that's the that's the nexus that all of this hinges on. And how can you know, the, the reality is, is we don't consent. Nobody consents to everything that the government does. I, I guarantee you will not find one human being in this uh, great land of ours that consents to everything that the government does. Now, you can say, oh, well, we consent more broadly to the system. OK, a lot of people do. Fine. But what about people who don't? Do they have any choice in the matter? No. Nope. So they don't consent. Right. I think it's, it's important to kind of try to think about the fact is, is can a group of people have moral authority? Can a group of people be a decision maker? I don't think it can. I think ultimately only individuals are moral actors. A group cannot be a moral actor because if there's one person in that group that disagrees with whatever thing the group wants to do, then you don't have true consent. Uh, you know, it's kind of the, to, to use a funny analogy, it's like if we all go out and, and get pizza and, uh, Tom Witch uses this analogy, you know, and I go to the bathroom and you guys decide that I'm going to pay for the pizza. Uh, you know, in a de democratic sense, we have consent. You know, we all agreed to go to the pizza place. Now, I didn't agree to pay for the pizza and I was in the bathroom when you all made that decision. But still, if you know, as far as the moral majority goes, then I have to pay for the pizza. Well, that's absurd in any type of rational, ethical uh, moral structure. So this whole idea of uh, democracy and mob, it's, it's mob rule. And I, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're getting far afield of, of our typical constitutional conversation, but I think people need to consider what is the true legitimacy of the state of this whole system that we have today? I think it rests on, on pretty flimsy ground when you're talking about ethics and morality. Uh, if your ethic is you do what I tell you. If I point a gun at you, then we're all good. But I think a sane person would say, you know, that's a pretty nasty way to uh, to order a society. Well, I think getting beyond the constitutional parameters is actually necessary because when I first started getting into radio, I think in 2015, 2016, everything I thought, get back to the Constitution, get back to the Constitution. Well, what we're seeing now, because of what Dershowitz is saying, well, constitutionally, if you're staying within these parameters, clearly. He's right. You do not have a constitutional right to not be vaccinated. This is clearly a state issue. But this is where I see the state being our biggest threat when you look at it, because if you go with the constitutional, again, standards, he's absolutely correct. The problem is, does the state have this power at all? Does it have the right to do this? And this is where we have to get into what rights versus powers are. And, you know, when you think about human beings, we have rights. We have individual rights. The state does not have the right to do this to us, nor should it have the power, because who in their right mind would delegate such a power to them other than the fact that they just assert it? And we are seeing that right now with these tyrants rolling like pigs and over this power that they have completely surrounded themselves with case in point who's this uh, the gal in is it minnesota whitmer or something like that she's absolutely drunk with power they're even telling people sleep head to toe <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was in wisconsin, that was in wisconsin. Yeah. so you know these people and you had asked before mike we had this conversation in tennessee when this was just starting to mm -hmm. 
So roll up is how does a free society deal with a pandemic? And I think knowing what we've learned in the past two months, not very well, <laughs> right? not very well. And what's going to happen when we find out that so much of this has been a lie. And already I'm seeing as the numbers are flattening. And this is what I told our county health department that they were going to do. You're going to take credit for it. You're going to say we are the reason this has happened. And you cannot prove that. Right. And then you're putting the person, you're putting those of us that are against what you've done with the impossible task of proving a negative. So what we have to do is stay consistent and say, what is the proper role of government? Where does personal responsibility come into this? And I understand we're dealing with a society that thinks it's acceptable. Members think it's, it's acceptable to lick ice cream and put it back on the, on the shelves. We have idiots out there, but we still have the obligation to be personally responsible and make our own decisions because the the alternative is Alan Dershowitz's running everything, where the state can stick a needle in, in your arm if they wanna draw the life's blood to see if you're violating a, a pre, preconceived limitation on how much alcohol you can have in your bloodstream, 0.05 in Utah, 0.08, you know, this is by legislative fiat when you're capable to drive, even if you haven't uh, been driving erratically. I mean, just talking about the legal system, because we talked about there's a, a um, the ABA is now taking exception to being criticized lawyers and prosecutors or judges and prosecutors. But, you know, when people are being criticized for behavior that is not uh, harmful in and of itself, just because of legislative fiat, because certain members of society say, well, you're going to have to have a mask or you're going to go out of business. We're seeing people's businesses shut down. Jeff, you talk about civil disobedience, open your stores up. What do they do? They pull your license. Mike, do you think it's a proper role of government to issue licenses? We see it always happening under the auspices of cons uh, consumer and protection of society. But when they can yank these licenses for them going into business, how how do you justify this? Yeah, see, Sunday River uh, in... Maine is a place, a restaurant I go to, a Sunder River Brewery. They pulled their license because the guy opened up for business because they were putting him out of business. So he opened up. So they pulled his license. And so he they he brews beer. So what can he do? He can't brew beer anymore because the government now has taken his ability away to do that. Now, the proper response to that is that barber, what was it, Michigan, the barber that opened up and the, the guys with guns were standing there protecting him from the police. Uh, they pulled his license and he continued to cut hair. So that's the proper response. If uh, this brewery in Maine had just started brewing beer and said, and got a bunch of guys with guns there to defend them, uh, that would have been the proper response to this. Civil disobedience is about is all we really have left to the the threat of force that government has against us that you're talking about, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't disagree, and uh, you know that gets scary too. And it's interesting if you look back and and. I want to just say real quick about the Constitution. We'd certainly be better off in terms of liberty if we did get back to the Constitution. So that's why I keep talking sure. about it. I mean, you know, that's a that's a step that we can take. But I think it's also important to to look at these deeper issues about the legitimacy of government, and what government is, that it is violence, force and coercion. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting to go back and look at the evolution of the marijuana movement. Uh, in 1996, California was the first state to legalize medical marijuana. And at the time, everybody was trying to crack down. Three different presidents, Clinton, Bush, and uh, maybe both Bushes. No, too early. Well, at any rate, there was a huge amount of pressure to not allow California to have legal medical marijuana. And when that passed and they started opening those dispensaries, the DEA was extremely aggressive. They were raiding these places. They were locking people in jail. They were taking their stuff away. It was very, very dangerous for anybody who was involved in the medical marijuana business at that time. And you know what they did? They pressed on. They risked going to prison. They risked losing all of their possessions. They would have a raid on a dispensary and they would open it again that afternoon because they were bound to determine that this was the right thing to do and that they were going to do it. Weed people have a lot of guts when it comes to, when it comes to their uh, right to ingest their chosen plant. So that is the lesson. You know, there is no liberty without sacrifice. We the only hope that we have if we want liberty is to overwhelm 
the system that's trying to take it away from us. And in any battle like that, it is going, there's going to be costs and we have to be willing to count that cost. Uh, you know, if you open your business and uh, defy the, the authorities, you could end up going to jail. You could end up having your bank account seized. These things could happen. But if enough people start doing it, if there's enough pressure, you know, those people who uh, defied the federal government in 1996 for medical marijuana are, are true heroes that you'll never hear about because they suffered and lost their possessions and their livelihoods in order for this principle, this thing that they believed in. And, uh, you know, those are the true heroes, not people that are just going to work today because that's the job they signed up for. <clears throat> yes. So, oh, thank oh. you. Thank you. Oh my God. That's heroes. Yeah. You get, yep. to, you get to, you get to serve French fries. I can't get my hair cut, but <laughs> certain people that have been chosen Walmart, by the way, Walmart who has been deemed essential because they sell food and all the other stuff. Their stocks are going up. Meanwhile, everybody's going bankrupt. Yeah, that, that whole yeah. essential job. Go so, ahead, Jeff. I want to go back to something you said, Mike, about it being dangerous. Okay, so four mere years after the ratification, you have what is called the Whiskey Rebellion. Mm -hmm. So in Pennsylvania, a bunch of guys were not happy about the federal government passing a tax on their whiskey. So they were protesting it, much like not that many years earlier, we were throwing tea in a harbor. So... It's really kind of interesting that within a few years, they forgot about throwing tear in a harbor, but now uh, Hamilton pushed George Washington to send federal troops into Pennsylvania to put down this uh, whiskey rebellion, a tax pre protest, and did it unconstitutionally because no one in the government of Pennsylvania requested the right. assistance of the federal government. That's the key to the whole thing. If the governor said, oh, I have a rebellion in Pennsylvania, come help us then Washington could have sent troops in. But in spite of the fact that they didn't, he marched in federal troops, put down a tax protest. Uh, oh, the irony is thick, but that's the danger. Government has the force to compel you to obey. And that's your article up to the fact that they could have killed all those guys. They sent the federal troops there. They could have shot every one of them. And that's, but if, if, are you a patriot or are you a sheep? Are you going to stand up and say, listen, you're putting them out of business. So you're going to kill me one way or the other. If, I'm either going to starve to death because I can't feed my family, or uh, you're going to kill me with the cops. So one way or the other, I'm going to die. So I might as well be a patriot and open up my shop. So that's what we're, that's where we're at now in America. We're back to the whiskey rebellion. You know, Mike, when you mentioned Prop, uh, Prop 215 in California, medical marijuana in California, <clears throat> that, that went all the way up to the Supreme Court, which, by the way, <laughs> sided with the feds. Um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, amazing, right? <laughs> and uh, conservative darling originalist Antonin Scalia did say in that case that, uh, you know, when government action is part of a greater government plan, it's constitutional. So it was a greater government plan here. <clears throat> the Controlled Substances Act. Jeff, while uh, we're pontificating this, you can look under Article 1, Section 8 for substances controlled or otherwise <laughs> <laughs> that are uh, in Article 1, Section 8. And and again, so, so he just made this up. He just made this up to justify their own service, but their, their, own, uh, their own actions. But here's what's interesting, notwithstanding the, the ruling by the Judicial Temple Monkeys, thank you for that, Brian, we still have 33 states in D.C. nullifying federal law. Yep. So when we talk about getting back to the Constitution, nullification and secession are both ways of honoring and getting back to this Constitution, That's leaving right. the control and the boot of D.C. on your neck is completely in conformance with the Constitution. You know, we hear about secession. This is one of the reasons I can't support Yes, California anymore. I, I support the right to secede, but their way of, go, of going about it is, well, we need permission from the other states to do it. No, you don't. You really don't. You can just leave. That was part of the equal footing doctrine when, right. when three states, it was, a, I believe it was New York and Virginia and Rhode Island said, we're not going to sign on. We're not going to ratify in case, unless we can leave. And that term yep. was accepted and applied to everyone. Go ahead, Jeff. So did, did we uh, did we ask uh, the states of uh, Great Britain, if there are states or counties or whatever, did we go over there and ask permission to uh, declare our independence? <laughs> or did we just uh, sign it and uh, pledge our sacred honor 
to become free and independent nations. We did list the reasons why we were doing it, which I think is absolutely appropriate. And if you read them, you'll find that just about every one of them we have today, this government does those very things in spades. In and we, we sit back and oh, it's, oh, it's the best thing ever. We need to stay. Okay. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox on that. No, we don't need any permission. We just need to have the intestinal fortitude to, to declare our independence and actually do it. Yes. And uh, good morning, Mark Kresslins, uh, who says, I just sinned. I, I said the S word. So, so far we've said the F word, federalism, secession. <laughs> we're also talking the C word, constitution. And, you and know, Mike one said word the I... S word. Mike <laughs> said the S word during the show. I, I, you saw my surprise face. <laughs> Potty mouth. So, uh, so wrapping this up here, I do want to have a little fun with this admonition from the president of the American Bar Association. Uh, what a bunch of sanctimonious morons in the ABA, I have to say. But uh, the president of the ABA, Judy Martinez, told the House of Delegates at the 2020 ABA mid-year meeting in Austin, Texas, they're talking about due process and evidence, attorney-client privilege, you know, meaning as, as minions in the public sphere here. We're talking about fair trials and punishment. This is imperative of the oath uh, to protect and defend the Constitution, no better demonstrated than when lawyers and public servants operating within the framework <clears throat> of law, when do they do that, are able to do so free from obstruction, intimidation, and retribution. What she's really saying is don't criticize us. What she's really saying is when Alan Dershowitz gets up on, the, on his pedestal and looks down on the rest of us and says, you have no right to be typhoid Mary. You have no right to infect others. What he's completely ignoring is our right to be free from government telling us how to stay healthy. These are the lawyers that are demanding that we don't criticize them. Interestingly enough, she also said uh, she didn't leave us former defense counsel. <laughs> she didn't bring us up in, into their umbrella of protection. Apparently, those of us that stand between the state and the accused aren't worthy of any kind of protection. And this is something else I want to talk about with the corruption of the system. <clears throat> something else I think is a misconception is that we have these rights to fair trials. When we are in law school, <clears throat> hopeful candidates are taught that our ultimate loyalty, and we take ethics, is to the court. Our ultimate obligation is for justice and to the court. So if you are an accused, you must go into a court and be judged by a government official. You are charged by government officials, accused by government officials. And then <clears throat> your guilt or innocence is determined by a group of so-called peers who are instructed by government officials to rule as they say if you find a certain set of facts, leaving out any options for jury nullification and independent thought. And your counsel, your defense counsel, is also reporting to the government and has to act within a certain set of parameters, putting justice and the truth ahead of your representation. Clearly, I'm not advocating lawyers be deceitful, defense attorneys be deceitful, but the fact remains, we are told that our ultimate obligation is to the court, not our clients. Those come second. You know, it's interesting because it, it, that even goes to a more fundamental problem with the, the quote-unquote legal system. It's all about the state. Yeah. There's, there's no actual justice because justice infers a, a restoring of the balance between the victim and the aggressor. And when we try things in courts today, it's the state. The victim doesn't get anything out of this other than maybe the satisfaction that justice was served. But there's no there's no retribution. There's no reconciliation. There's no making somebody whole. It's all about the state getting its pound of sand out of somebody. And, and the victim is completely <clears throat> left out of the system. There's no restoration. There, there's nothing. It's all about the state. And it's interesting when you look at the things that the, the state comes down the hardest on, it's all crimes against the state. They'll get, they'll get madder about you lying to an FBI agent than they will of you stealing your neighbor's car. You know? if, you're, if you're charged with an assault, the charging documents say the people of the state of 
versus right. that defendant. So what I say all the time is the state substitutes itself for the role of the victim. Well, clearly you can go after after the accused in a civil court. Well, then guess what? Half of your recovery is going to go to your attorney, but the state just simply substitutes themselves, call themselves the victim, has the moving papers, and then you pay all your fines and restitution to the state. Now, sometimes they will impose restitution on the um, on the victim, but if you can't pay for it, they can't punish you for not paying. It's it's hold, in on, their hold on. Before you answer that, uh, we really need to take a break to for our sponsor, Anchor FM. Go ahead, Suzanne. We're back. I was giving, well, I was giving you that five seconds you said that you wanted when we were starting. I, I, it really it. helps me find it later, <laughs> so I can insert the ad later. Yeah, and I guess you'll have to be on your own to find the one for uh, for Roxanne. Sorry about yeah. that. But um, yeah, and so before anyway, we go, yeah. I know we're getting short on time with yeah. Mike. Before we go, I have a very serious question for him, and but that that can go after the show if we need to. Well, now I'm curious. <laughs> right? <laughs> Everybody in the audience we is going. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's the important stuff, and it, well, we'll do it after know. the show because it has absolutely nothing to do with the show. Oh, for crying out loud, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, now okay, I'm we'll do it then. So, Mike, you are a co-host for Sportsball, and it's so exciting. We had a NASCAR race last weekend, and baseball is going to start up here shortly soon, uh, in some places without fans. Aren't you excited that you actually will have sports to talk about on Sportsball? I am very excited about sports on Sportsball. You know, Kevin Harvick won his 50th NASCAR race, which very few people have done. That's true. So there's your bit of sports on the Wasatch Report. There we go. Speaking so of, so I, I, we won't have to save it for after the show. No. My son raced this week. He was uh, racing the Spec Z in the Spec Z series awesome. out at Utah Motorsports Campus. And technically, that was not open to uh, spectators, but I was there. Um, and yeah. uh, try and keep me away. Right. <laughs> and it, it was it was fantastic to see and to see him out there and doing that again. And so racing is going on back out there. They do have some restrictions. Uh, a lot of people were wearing masks out in the open air. Uh, again, that's up to them. In fact, somebody asked me once, uh, I guess, are you are you anti masks? And I said, I'm pro science. If you want to wear a mask, go right ahead. But, and this is what I mentioned to my friend, I said, but I, again, I, I'm worried about the people that have a false sense of security who might be inadvertently doing more harm to themselves or their family uh, than they might otherwise realize. But that's, again, that's your decision. And I have no, I have no problem with it. So I think uh, given that we're going to wrap up the show, but before we do, Mike Meharry, I want you to uh, remind people where they can follow you. You have multiple podcasts, multiple projects going on. You have a book that just came out recently as well. I've got a message for our uh, our fine lawyer at the uh, Bar Association before we get into <laughs> that. I just want to tell her that I will quit criticizing you people when you quit acting like ignorant nin nincompoops. How about that? Well said. <laughs> I, how can I know the unmitigated gall to say that we are not worthy of ridicule? I think she's talking about public intimidation. Who's out there publicly intimidating or threatening these people? We are mocking them. We are ridiculing them. And it is very much, much deserved. So, Mike, go ahead. Uh, where can people follow you and where can they get your book? All right. Well, go to the 10th Amendment Center.com first and, and check out all of the stuff that we're doing. Although right now we're not doing so a lot stuff. because state legislatures are, are pretty much shut down right now because of the which, you know, maybe that's one of the, the small blessings in all of this. that The governments have kind of quit passing laws and stuff. So there's that. I think they're still collecting pay. <laughs> <laughs> and and except the federal government, the federal government just is <laughs> well, yeah. forget it. Three anyway, now it's gonna be three point three trillion. But uh, amendmentcenter.com. Yeah. Uh head over there. I've been doing a lot of writing on some some more uh macro type of issues about uh, uh the surveillance state and constitutional issues. I've got an article that'll be coming out uh here in the next couple of weeks where I uh, take down another ignorant uh, lawyer. <laughs> who uh, informs us uh, that the federal government has the power to implement a national uh, quarantine, which is of absurd. course they do. So, so I, uh, I do that. So check that out. 10th amendment center.com. Uh, if you are interested in the constitution, if you want to know what the constitution 
really says. If you want to understand why the federal government doesn't have the authority to issue a national quarantine, uh, my book is for you. It's right here behind me, Constitution Owner's Manual. I go through various clauses uh, and principles with uh, that undermine, undermine, well, yeah, they do undermine, that undergird the Constitution. And uh, I look at it through the eyes of the ratifiers. That's where you find the meaning of the Constitution. And you can get that over at constitutionownersmanual.com. Various ways, Kindle, uh, paperback, or you can actually get an autographed copy if you want to see my scrawl uh, on your book. And I'm really pleased with this project. It's been been very well received. And um, I think it's important whether you believe in uh, you know, the Constitution or not. I think it's important that we understand what it was intended to do. And and by looking at it, we understand how far we've drifted away from from the system that people say they revere. So, you know, Mike, the other day I was I was watching a debate about, uh, you know, it's a shame the Constitution isn't taught in schools. It needs to be. And I'm thinking, mm-mm, mm-mm, no, no, no. They're, <laughs> they're the last ones I want teaching the Constitution. What people need to do, even in law school, again, refer to my article, Abbeville Institute. You can go to my website. Uh, you know, we need people that really understand the Constitution and look through it, as you said, through the eyes of the ratifiers. The records are there. Joe Wolverton, our good friend Joe Wolverton, we had him on and talked about his book, too. Um, and and these are the sources. If you want to learn the Constitution, when your kids, if you have kids that are going through school and learning about the Constitution, get these books and have them give them, you know, give them to your kids. Maybe uh, discuss it with them. Have the kids run these principles by your teachers. I say all the time, if I had answered the questions on the bar exam correctly, meaning according to the ratifiers' views. Uh, I would have failed the bar exam. And that's the problem when we have institutionalized instruction of this document that everybody wants to discuss current events within this constitutional parameters, but they don't even understand what the playing field is really supposed to be. So these are the sources to find it. Uh, Before we wrap up, any final words, Jeff? I'm good for them. MikeMeharry.com. Mike Meharry, thanks for joining us today. And uh, we'll be back on, on Friday with an episode of the Red Hot Silly Prepper. Everybody, thanks for listening. God bless.